Let's give Annika a big hand. This is her first day leading the praise band. Jeremy's loving being able to play the drums for us. He's normally leading us, and great job, Annika. I want to start today with uh, a reading from God's Word. In Luke 35, it starts out by saying, Say, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Well, good morning. It's a, a beautiful day here in, in God's creation, isn't it? I, I love being outside sharing God's Word with you. If we've not met before, my name is Ken. I, I'm the pastor here. And if you're watching online, we're, we're glad that you're, you're with us as well. Um, and I hope that for everybody, God freshly awakens us to His grace. Our, our message today is awake to grace. And I chose that title because I think there are many today in our world, they're out there sleeping in their fears. Our fears can put us to sleep and keep us from enjoying the best joys of this life. You know, I, I, I remember a beautiful summer day like this when my kids were little and we were on vacation in Michigan and I, I rented a sailboat to take my family out. Something that I, I love to do is sail. And I have sailed most of my life, but I had never sailed a, a double-hold Hobie cap before. And my plan was for the whole family to just enjoy the sunshine and, and, and lay out on the trampoline or the deck of, of the boat and, and have a nice, pleasant cruise. But I hadn't sailed a Hobie cat. And the, the, the guy who rented it to me told me, um, you can't turn it like a regular sailboat. You have to jibe. Um, jiving is more treacherous because you have to turn the boat into the wind to change direction. And the, the sail whips around very fast with full force uh, of the wind behind it. And that day was really a, a strong wind, 12 to 15 knots. And I was kind of nervous about the first turn. So I just went a ways out into the, the bay of, the, of Lake Michigan that we were at and uh, before I'd even tried to attack to, to turn back. And when I turned, I was being very careful of my kids, instructing my wife and kids to get their heads down so that 10-foot aluminum beam didn't swing and either knock them off the boat or, or injure them. Because I was distracted instructing them, I, I forgot to keep my own head down. The boom swung hard and fast in the wind and hit me square in the head. The force was equivalent to somebody taking an aluminum baseball bat and hitting you as hard as they could in the side of your head. The impact was so intense, I, I was concerned for a few moments that I might pass out. And I was grateful I was not knocked off the boat because my young family would, had no idea what to do and they would have been in trouble. Uh, dazed, I, I continued to keep on course and make the many turns I needed to, to, to get my family back to shore. Um, but my family did hear the ring of, of the bat hitting my head. 
And the joyful ride that I had sold them all on now seemed more terrifying to them as the wind whipped around us and the waves were splashing up over the bow. And uh, my, my wife, Kathy, who I had convinced to go on this uh, pleasure cruise, was now objecting to all of my wisdom very loudly. My, my daughter, who was five and likes adventure, was just squealing with delight with each crashing wave. But my son, who was about four years old, simply curled around in a ball around the mast and fell asleep for the rest of our three-hour tour trying to get back to shore. See, the terror of it all just shut my son Cody down. He missed all the beautiful scenery, the, the sunshine, and the exhilarating time with his dad. I tell this story because I think many are like my young son who fall asleep to life and miss the exhilarating life God has for us. Because we sense danger in life and, and we let that shut us down or, or, distract our, or we try to distract ourselves from that danger. In our text today, Jesus is talking about the reality that this world and everything we know about it is someday coming to an end. He is talking today about his second coming, where he will establish his kingdom and make all th things new again. Now, most, uh, especially in Hollywood and the media, make the end of the world sound like it's a terrible thing. Our world seems to get very excited about all their different fears about the world ending. And everybody has an opinion of doom like my wife had about me sailing. But Jesus is trying to tell us here and sell us on a whole different vision for the end of the world than most people have. See, the world is caught up in fantasies about catastrophe. There are endless hours of movies, stories, experts on YouTube, new programs dedicated to prophesying our imminent destruction. People waste hours watching these movies that predict our destructions by natural disaster, by nuclear holocaust, by asteroids hitting the planet, alien attack, zombie apocalypses, pandemic diseases, and even artificially intelligent robots from the future like the Terminator that come to destroy us. But Jesus was the first one to say, I'll be back. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Jesus <laughs> meant it for good when he said it. Now, a lot of money is, is made making those films because we as a people seem to be fascinated by and thrilled by tales of great destruction. We, we love to see films where a few intelligent people become the saviors of the world by stopping this disaster through human ingenuity and usually luck. But I wonder if all this fascination we have as a culture with disaster puts us to sleep to what God really has in store for us. Has it made us an anxious people? Have our fears about the world coming to an end, deceived us into falling asleep to his grace. Many are drawn to all kinds of conspiracy theories, theories that prophesy doom in our world. Many believe that there are people in dark rooms somewhere plotting against the human race, trying to deceive us and destroy us. 
And so they spend countless hours researching on YouTube and reading books and scouring the internet to support their theories of doom. What's sad to me is many of them call themselves Christians and they get sucked into this world of fantasy and conspiracies of doom. You know, there are preachers out there that build big followings and, and make a lot of money, money forecasting doom with all kinds of fantasy predictions, supposedly from the book of Revelation. Throughout human history, there has been an endless list of prophets of doom predicting the dates for the world to end. And then when it doesn't happen, they just reset the date and they still continue to attract followers. With, with our world so constantly focused on doom, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's no wonder anxiety is so epidemic in our society. I, I saw an article in Psychology Today that was titled, To Heal Anxiety, We Need to Stop Thinking of It as a Disease. The article said psychologists are treating anxiety as disease, and it's not working. The rates of anxiety disorders continue to rise. The article says this disease model blocks us from learning to cope with anxiety, which is natural to human emotion. Well, I didn't agree with everything the article said. What I found interesting about the author and psychologist who's written some books on this subject, that anxiety isn't the problem. That's what she said. The anxiety isn't the problem. The problem lies in our beliefs. The disease story of anxiety taught by mental health professionals today, uh, like the author, according to the author, truly set us up for failure. Our, our current series is called Anxiety Solved because it, 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 it should help us because the Bible teaches that anxiety is solved as we change our beliefs, just like that article was saying. Today, let's look more closely at Jesus' word and what we are believing about the most fearful thing to most people, the end of the world. Jesus says this again, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. So Jesus is saying the end of the world is not something to fear and avoid and fall asleep in terror because of. It's something to expectantly wait for. Staying dressed for action literally means in the, the, the Greek to gird your loins. Uh, you know, people wore long flowing clothes and, and they were over their knees and they had to tuck them into their belt so they could be physically active for work or, or, or battle. You know, uh, you've got to be active. Think about how the world thinks about all these scenarios of eminent doom, it, it can make us passive. It can make us depressed and, and act, inactive, not even wanting to go outside. Jesus' disciples are to eliminate fears by being active and, and being prepared always for it. They're to keep their lamps burning, which says we don't hide in the dark in fear, but instead we expectantly wait for the end to happen. I mean, doesn't Jesus teach us in the Lord's Prayer to actually pray for his kingdom to come. We are to pray for his kingdom to come because it's a good thing, even though that will be the end of this world as we know it. But we can feel fine because God has great things in store for us. 
Jesus has been teaching in a previous passage that we should not hoard up our material goods, our temporal goods of life. And as I've been saying in this, this series, that our want, our desires, is what creates and makes us fearful and anxious. We want safety in our worldly goods. We want control. And if we don't have it, we're fearful. We must change our belief that the end of the world is a bad thing, as the movies and the media tell us. But instead, see it as good news to all who believe. It's good news because it's the end of the corruption of this world caused by our sin. Beloved, fear is sin. Over and over again in God's word, he tells us not to fear. Instead, God asks us to take on a new belief called faith to trust in him and his good plan to make our world new through the goodness of his coming kingdom. Jesus is teaching us the attitude we are to take on because our belief is in the goodness of God. And that is different from those in the world fascinated all the time with their doom. Verse 36 says, Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast so that they may open the door to him and at once he comes and knocks. Jesus says, be like men. And in the Greek, that word men means people, both male and female, human beings. Jesus uses, I think, the word men and not children intentionally because he is talking about having a mature belief system. You know, children and adolescents are often ruled more by their emotions and their desires. But men, especially men girded for battle, need to be ruled by truth in their heart to face all the battles of life. The correct belief about the end of the world is that we should be anticipating it in a hopeful way, not in a tragic way. If we serve Jesus, we all fight from victory, not for victory. Jesus also says we are servants. So as servants, we don't need to waste our time trying to control things, trying to predict the day and the hour or the circumstances of it. As servants, we just need to be ready. All the words predictions and conspiracy theories of catastrophe are simply a waste of time to us. It's, it's falling asleep to what is important, living our lives by faith, ready for him to come back. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul instructs Timothy how to pastor the flock in Ephesus. He says, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies which promote speculation or controversies, rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. This, this whole narrative that the world is ending in tragedy is a different doctrine than from what Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus taught us to pray and to do merciful work and to wait expectingly for him to come. Jesus says that he came that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly. Friends, living in fear of impending doom all the time is not abundant life. Paul says we are not to devote ourselves to myths, conspiracies, and empty stories. 
you know, conspiracy theorists will often talk about endless genealogies throughout history with people with great plots against our world. Now, those who don't like conspiracy theories or, or, or the, that term will say even the term was invented by the CIA, CIA to disqualify all the criticism of the official story of the Kennedy assassination. And actually, that's not even true. Uh, the phrase was first used after World War II by a philosopher of science, Karl Popper. But in the scriptures, Paul taught us a, a few thousand years ago, we are not to devote ourselves as believers to matters of controversy or speculation. Instead, we are to steward or use the resources of our mind for faith in God and sharing the good news of his coming kingdom through his gospel. Conspiracy theories of doom distract and conflict with the good news. All our speculations of doom tend to divide us as a people because there are so many different opinions about what we don't know that we can all argue over. In the study of eschatology, the end times, there are many different positions. I'll just name a few. There's premillennialism, there's postmillennialism, there's amillennialism, and my theological position, which is panmillennialism. That means it'll all pan out in the end. It's a real simple one. Okay? <laughs> and really, <laughs> um, uh, I believe that's the truth Jesus is trying to give to his disciples here. Is we're not trying to, here to try to figure it all out. Instead, we are to be excited, not about the how, but about the who, which is coming back with us, our friend and our Savior, Jesus, who loves us. Jesus sent us to unite others into his kingdom, not to divide it with all our theories of doom. Paul tells us not to pro promote speculations. And after he, he tells us that, he says this, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You know, the servants in our text are expectantly waiting for their master because they love him. Beloved, the aim of our charge is to show love towards God and love towards others through the gospel, not to scare people um, with conspiracy theories that we have about doom. His disciples, as his disciple, are, are, are you more focused on seeking out information on your conspiracies of doom or learning his word and the hope that is in Christ through his love, and through the gospel, and having gospel conversations. What do you invest more of your time in? Beloved, do you know better things, the th things that, do you know better, the things that can go badly in this world? Do you know those better? Are those more fresh in your mind than the good news of Jesus Christ? What words are on your lips each day? Is it good news of your master coming home or bad news about impending disasters? Jesus says we should be like servants waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast. In the first century, a, a Jewish wedding feast was not a three-hour event like we have. It was a five to seven day celebration. So servants had no idea 
at what hour the master would be home. You know, today many Christians fight and they argue about when Jesus is coming back. They see signs in the world that they think are quickly bringing about the ending and they start prophesying doom. When Jesus was asked by his disciples when he was coming back, Jesus says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Beloved people who are telling you they know the time are either lying or they're guessing. Often they lie to profit from your fears. Fear is also a way to control you and make it your master or the people who that spread the fears. But our text, Jesus is freeing us. He is the master and he's looking to take away our fear from all of his disciples about the end of the world. Now, prophets of doom sometimes don't give specific dates for his coming. But, but I hear Christians and Christian leaders say all the time, the end is coming soon because of how bad it is in the world. Well, Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you are not alarmed, not afraid, for this must take place, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places but all these things are just the beginning of birth pangs friends since the first century and when jesus said this there have been wars and there have been rumors of war the the simple fact of history is that in 3400 the last 3400 years of human history there have only been 268 years where the world was entirely at peace, from what we know. Go search on the internet about wars over the last couple hundred years, and you will see almost constant conflict. And any time there's a, a new major conflict, like what's happening in Ukraine, there are people who start saying, Jesus is coming soon with much authority. You know, I've been a Christian since the mid-90s, and with every war, with every economic downturn, with every natural disaster, I've been hearing people claiming how it's the time, and they start prophesying the end of the world with doom. Jesus says these are birth pangs. Now, birth pangs, don't they usually lead to joy? Many of the people who promote these speculations are people who call themselves Christians, but actually they're being false prophets of doom. Our, our fears make us false prophets. Fear and worry is vision without optimism. And the Bible is completely optimistic. We, we, we sometimes see an event like what tragically happened in Highland Park on the 4th of July, and we start to cast a vision to others that the world is worse than it's ever been. So it must be coming to an end. But objectively, is the world really worse in 2022 than any other time in history that Christians have faced? In the first century, 
Nero blamed the Christians for starting fires in Rome and killed thousands of believers by throwing them to wild beasts, crucifying them. He covered some with pitch and lit them as human candles for his parties. Between the 1500s and 1866, nearly 2.5 million African slaves were ripped from their homes and family and transported to the Americas, and 1.8 million died just in the transport. During Hitler's reign, 6 million European Jews were slaughtered by the Nazis. Pol Pot killed 2 million people, a third of the population of Cambodia. Stalin killed at least 9 million people. It's probably a lot higher in Russia. Mao Zedong from 1958 to 1962, only four years in China, killed 45 million of his own people during that time. There were 1,500 armed conflicts in 34 countries in Africa and nations between 1995 and 2015, and this resulted in 5,000 children dying because of lack of food and medical treatment and supplies. Friends, that's all awful. But all those awful deeds of man is not evidence of when Jesus will come. And so that's a sign that we need Jesus to come, to birth his new kingdom, to stop the evil of man. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Disciples of Jesus are not asleep to the fact that that has not changed in 4,000 years of human history. Jesus says that the end will come during the days, like it did during the days before the flood. The people were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And he says, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Servants of Jesus understand the world has been evil throughout history and are diligent and ready to serve God because he is the solution that will come according to Jesus in Matthew 24, 14. Jesus says when he will come, he says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Friends, do you realize that there are over 3 billion people all over in 7,000 people groups in our world that are currently, right now, unreached by the gospel? For Jesus to come, his people must first gird their loins and turn their little lights on and get out there and share his grace because God is mercifully going to fix our world. False prophets make heaven sound like this exclusive place that only a few good ones get there. And, 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 and they predict doom for all the rest. In Genesis 15, God says, Abraham's children of faith, those who are saved, will be as fast as the stars in the sky. False prophets of doom ignore all of that in their speculation. But Revelation 9, 10, a verse they don't read, says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, 
standing, is standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white, white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Beloved, we are to be awake with grace from our God, not asleep to the work of our Master to bring in His kingdom. Not spending our time dreaming about potential conspiracies of doom in this world. We're too busy for that. Servants of Jesus need to be dressed for action, burning the midnight oil because they are awake to the grace of our God. They know the master is coming home from a wedding feast. That tells us something about our master. He's not mean, he's joyful. And that should take away our fears. He's coming home from a party joyful and we need to be ready to open the door so we can share in his joy. Jesus is joyfully coming back from heaven, which is a joyful place. And the text says he will come at once. He says, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And even those who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth will wail on the account of him. Friends, there's no speculation in that. His servants will know him and he knows his own servants. And instead, there will be rejoicing at his return for those who are awake to God's grace. Blessed are those servants who find their master, or, or those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come serve them. Blessed, Jesus tells us, means happy and joyful are, are those who will find him awake by his grace instead of sleeping in the conspiracy of their fears. The word servant here is the word doulos in the Greek, which means a bond servant. A, a bond slave was someone who in the first century sold themselves for a set period of time, either to pay off debts or, or to have a place to live and, and, and be fed. And often these arrangements turned out so well for the master and the servant, they agreed to, to make it a permanent relationship. They almost became part of the family. For, for servants who are awake and expectantly joyful awaiting his return, Jesus paid all of their debts of sin on the cross. Jesus promises to give them a mansion in his father's home. Our master does not come looking to us for a pound of flesh for our sins. He makes a promise that he will dress himself because he loves us. He dresses himself because he doesn't need us for anything. He loves us and so he will gird his own loins and be ready to serve us who are his servants. Those awake to grace can rest forever now, reclining at his table, celebrating and allowing what their master has done to serve them. They are no longer servants, but they are loved additions to the family. This is reminiscent of what Jesus did before his crucifixion and before the Lord's Supper, where he girded his loins and wrapped up his clothing and, and, and got half naked to wash the filth off of his disciples' feet. All the dirt of our sin, all the shame of it from this life 
Jesus will remove forever by his grace. Even our ability to sin will be gone at the end of the world. We will eat and drink joyfully with our master. Jesus promises right before he went to the cross in Matthew 26, 29. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. For those awake to his grace, the end of the world, friends, brings a party of feasting and joy with our master in his eternal kingdom. Verse 38 says, if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Beloved, it it doesn't matter when he comes. The promised joy of it will be the same. Happy are the servants that stay awake to the truth of the gospel instead of in their fears and speculations and conspiracies and prophecies of false doom. Blessed are those servants trusting in and serving their master's words that are rather than serving their own fears. Hebrews um, divided the watch of the night into three watches. Our master may come home very late in the history of this world. False prophets of doom often seem impatient for the Lord to come. It had to be on their timing to deal with their enemies, those sinners. But Jesus is saying it's going to be late because God is merciful. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The important thing is we know, friends, that Jesus will come. Scholars have identified 1,845 different biblical references to the second coming. New Testament authors speak about it in 23 of the 27 New Testament books. And now Jesus slightly changes his illustration to give us another truth that's also backed up throughout Scripture. But know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Jesus is saying, know this, this is true. God holds his servants accountable. He will come like a thief at an hour that we do not expect. So our efforts to look for signs for his coming waste our time. Instead, we are to be ready, waiting for him to come, doing his work, because he will hold us accountable. You know, there's a modern term that many of us have heard a lot recently. It's being woke. Now, being woke is being alert to the injustices of our society like racism. But friends, God is woke to humanity. He's not fooled by us. And at the end, we will not be able to pretend that we are his followers if we are not. Friends, sin is an injustice to God that offends him. So we as believers must be woke to the injustice of our sin 
and to be ready, always staying repentant so that we may be awake to his grace. Jesus', Jesus servants must not be a people sound asleep, fearfully medicating their sin. We must instead secure our houses with him by faith through his grace and receive his protection. See, a thief catches you off guard. The phrase broken into in the Greek means to dig. Now, in the first century, you had to be pretty asleep in your sin to not be aware of a thief digging through your dirt roof. Jesus says you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Today, are are you waiting with joy for your master to return? Or, or are you saying, but I, I need to acquire more possessions, more, more status. I, I need to have more experiences. Friends, you may not have the time. Jesus may come again soon. We don't know. And he comes as a judge. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, and then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be the gathered of all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Friends, sheep are the ones Jesus knows, the ones who are awake. They know him to his master's grace. They will inherit the kingdom of God because they are blessed and happy servants because they are awake to the reality of his mercy and his love and his grace and the grace of our God. These are the ones that are the accountable servants because they give God's mercy to others. When the master comes home, he will find them busily doing his business, giving mercy to others. They, they even do it when he's not around, when he's not present, because they are always awake to his grace. Jesus said, for when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. If you are awake by his grace, you will be found being merciful to others, helping the poor, being generous with all your earthly blessings, your time, your resources, and your money. You will be having gospel conversations to give other hopes because what other better food and drink is there for men, for their souls, than the promise of God that relieves their fears? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for those are the ones that shall be satisfied. Can we truly be merciful to others without having gospel conversations to comfort them in their fears, making them awake again to his grace. Now, who are the goats? Well, those are the fearful ones hoarding up all their earthly treasures for themselves. And that leaves them no time to be merciful to others while they think of how to protect it from disaster. Now, many have good intentions, they say, oh, someday when I'm not ma- busy making a living, I will give some money to send a, a missionary to a, the poorest country in the world like Burundi, or I will go myself. Someday 
They will say, hey, I will come and, and, and serve and give my time at Plainfield Fest so we can send money to the poor and, and Haiti and Burundi and the local families here in need. But Jesus, right now, I, I'm just too busy. I'm too big a deal to make myself available. I need to secure myself from my fears. Right now, I really don't have time to think about someone else. You know, someday, Jesus, I, I will talk to my neighbor, my coworker, and my friend about being awake to his grace. But right now, I, I'm just too busy with work, with kids' soccer, with kids' baseball, with social media, and with entertainment and news, all about the world's catastrophe. I've got I've to I've collect it all up. I've got to take care of it all. Fool, this night, your soul could be required of you. What good is all that? Treasuring the things of this world can keep you from being merciful to others, which is what his servants do. Jesus said, truly I say to you, as you did not do this for one of the least of me, at least of these, you did not do it for me. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Friends, goats are not his servants. They're, they are not awake to his grace. And Jesus says, when he comes again, they will go to eternal punishment. Beloved, we don't know when Jesus will come. So today, right now, is the time to be woke to his grace. Now is the time to believe in the good news of our master instead of believing in or ignoring it because we're so focused on disasters and medicating our fears with the things of this world. Today, be awake to the grace of the Son of God who loved you and gave his life for you on the cross. Stay awake to the historical fact that three days later, he walked out of the grave, proving to the world his eternal promise of grace and goodness to us, promising us forgiveness, promising us everlasting life for all who trust in their master and follow in his way of mercy towards others. Today, beloved, be awake to God's grace. Turn from your doom and hoarding and hiding in your fears. Turn and do the work of your master, Jesus, and be a blessed servant of joy forevermore. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. While it challenges us, it's always good because you are good and you want what is good and what is right, and what is best for us. Oh, Father, I thank you 
for those loyal servants here that are expectantly waiting for you. May they do it for joy to show the world that when we are your servants, we are joyful. Father, may they do that. Father, if there's anybody here today weighed down in their fears, Father, may anybody here today that has not received you as Lord and Savior, may they turn from that and repent and come and pray and, and receive your grace, become awake to your grace, receive your salvation and your, your joy. Father, let them no longer sit in despair, but know that you are good and that you have loved them since before the foundations of this earth. Oh, Father, make them awake today through the power of your Holy Spirit to your grace. In Jesus' name, I pray. Today, if you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior, why don't you stand? And as the band sings, you can come. Come and pray with me. Today, if you're struggling with fears and, and doubts, come and pray. Let's stand and sing with our praise.